welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today. Ethnos is a new organization looking to join in the holistic, community-transforming work happening in New Brunswick and Highland Park. Part of that includes thinking about the spiritual health and vitality of our community. Each week, our gathering is meant to give our community a safe and helpful place for that. This is the final episode in our series called This Is Us, with a conversation being led by lead pastor Yukon Chu. As we get going with today and the rest of our morning here, we are actually at the end of our first month in 2018. And uh, that means actually we're also wrapping up our first series uh, called This Is Us. Uh, Many of you know we like to go through different a series through the year, series of discussion and conversation. And today is the last conversation we're having on called This Is Us, a series through the story of Jonah in the scriptures of Jesus. Now, it's been really exciting, I think, the last few weeks to hear about how this story has impacted you. Uh, a number of you have come up to me afterwards and been like, wow, that was actually really relevant for me, really life-changing. I'm really glad that it has been relevant. I think it's amazing to see how Jesus and His Scriptures are actually alive and make sense to us today, even though they were written some 2,000 years ago. Today's conversation and today's excerpt, I think, will do the same for us. I think many of us in this room will relate to what we're about to read, will relate to the journey that this man Jonah was on, that God was bringing him on. And so to get us kind of going with today's conversation, and we'll kind of give you an update on the story so far if you've missed out, but like we always do here on a Sunday, we want to get started with a question, just to get our minds going, just to get us thinking about the topic under consideration. Here's a question today, and we'll put it on the screen. You're going to talk about it with uh, your table partners. When you don't live like the person you want to be, what do you do? Why does that happen? How do you handle that about yourself when you don't live like the person you want to be? Two minutes. Turn to your table partners. All right, so what are we talking about at our tables? Who wants to share a little bit with the rest of the group how you're processing, what you're thinking through here? Anybody this morning as we get started? Okay, right on. Hazel, thank you for leading the way this morning. Um, Okay, for me, I think the thing is acknowledging that I can never be exactly the person I want to be because the person I want to be is amazing (laughs) and is perfect and um, I'm not. (laughs) But um, I think... For me, the crucial thing is acknowledging to myself when I haven't been that person. So for more often than not, when I'm not the person I want to be, it's through inaction rather than action. It's not doing something that I wouldn't want to do. It's actually not doing what I think should be done. Um, and so the most important thing is acknowledging that I have not lived up to the standards I hold for myself and reflecting on it, like Olivia said. Um, so that that is something that if you don't acknowledge and you don't reflect, that's not something that can be changed. So you have to acknowledge, you have to reflect, so that maybe in the future you can do better. All right, yeah, let's give it up for Hazel. Yeah, that's good, that's good. Thank you. Who else? What else were you reflecting on? 
Well, I was glad that you asked this because I was looking at a couple of recent you know, things that, that, that have been this, that I haven't lived up to what I want to be. And, um, and I realized I was approaching it like, what can I fix about this situation? Like, what, what habits can I try to reinforce, systems I can try to put in place to, to resolve it? But I realized that hasn't been changing it. And so, you know, just trying to, like, what can I do on my own hasn't solved the, solved the problem. So I was glad you asked the question. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, you're reflecting, doing what Hazel said. You're like, wait a second, this is not working. You've spoken like a true software engineer. This is not working. Okay. All right. Good, good. Anybody else? Nicholas, Dr. Nicholas, good to see you. Hi. Uh, well, first of all, the question was a little bit uh, confusing for me in the beginning. Because when I asked that question to myself, I was thinking like who I want to be in terms of what Nicholas can uh, can be like uh, in my job or in my in my in my house uh, between my among my friends. I was not comparing myself with God, like, and uh, I was just thinking that what what's the uh, my best potential in terms of just comparing myself with myself. Uh, but what I realized after his whole thought is that I don't, I, I shouldn't be thinking about the best thing I can be from Nicholas, but the best thing I can be thinking, comparing myself to Jesus, right? Because if I think only what Nicholas can be, it, it won't be as great as, you know, Jesus would want me to be. I think that whenever I don't, I, I don't feel like I am in the place or I'm doing what I should be doing, uh, I just try to pray God and, and try to understand the reason why I'm in the situation or in the moment where I am right now and try to think about the things uh, that I will need to change in order to become more similar to what he want me to do, he want me to be. Yes. Thank you, Nicholas. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm really curious. Thank you for sharing your answers, and, and, and I appreciate your honesty. I'm curious, how many of us, when we read this question, immediately started to think more negatively? Meaning, when you think about, man, I'm not doing living like who I want to be, you, you kind of immediately kind of beat yourself up or have more kind of negative self-talk. How, how many of you are like that? Let's just be honest. I'm, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Thank you for your honesty. How many of you maybe were on the other side? Like, you, you think about this, and you're like, yeah, I can do this. I got this. We can get over this. I can, I can be better. How many of you have more, like, positive self-talk to yourself? Okay, so maybe fewer, fewer. You know, I think this is such an important question for us to ask because the reality is, like Hazel was saying, none of us, none of us are living out who we really want to be. In fact, none of us can do that. And so the question is, well, how might we change? How might we begin to live like who we want to be? It's a question we started to ask last week, and it's a question we're going to continue to ask this week because the story that we're engaged in, the story of God and the story of Jonah has been bringing us to that place. Today's story, today's excerpt, I think, is going to really take us deep. It's really going to force us to confront ourselves, but my hope is that it will do so in the most encouraging of ways, that all of us here who raised our hand or identified with, you know, I'm kind of that negative person, 
that we will walk away thinking to ourselves, wait a second, no, this is possible. This can actually happen. I can actually become somebody different than I am today. Now, we're taking a look at the story of Jonah. And just to give you a recap uh, of where we've been and where we're going today, uh, you'll remember that three weeks ago when we started this story, we realized that this story is ultimately about God. It's about a God who loves humanity, a God who is patient and gracious with humanity, and a God who wants to give humanity not just love, but also purpose in life, direction, meaning. We talked about how this God invited Jonah to this journey of sharing love, sharing meaning, sharing purpose, but Jonah decided to say no. He said, thanks God, but no thanks, and he decided to go the other way. Last week, we began to explore how that brought him nowhere in life, how that actually brought him to trouble after trouble, that kind of brought him downward, and we began to see in Jonah how he began to turn to a new direction. We talked about how he began to realign his life to the love and the purpose that God intended for him. You'll remember that what God was trying to get him to do, right, to do, right, was to go to a place in the empire of Assyria. If you remember your ancient Near East uh, history, you'll remember, if we can get the map up, this kind of ancient empire that was in the Middle East. Do we have the pictures? Okay, there we go. And um, specifically, God wanted him to go to this city called Nineveh, which was the capital of the city, to ask the capital and the residents there in that capital to turn from their wickedness, to get back in line with God's purpose of justice and compassion, to leave their life of what people like to call, religious people like to call, sin. Now, just as a recap as to what was going on, because this is important for today's story, you'll remember, next picture, that the Ninevites, the Assyrians that lived in Nineveh, were actually known at that time for their wickedness. They really were. This is actually a relief. I believe it's in the British Museum of some um, carvings from Nineveh. Those are people hanging, people being lynched, specifically Jewish people being lynched. And so Nineveh was not a pretty place. It was not a good place. It had some racist tendencies, some injustices going on, to say the least. And so it needed to turn from their wickedness. That's what God was wanting for this city. We talked about how God wants this, of course, not because he wants to push people down, but because he wants to give people purpose and meaning and life and love. And so Jonah now is getting back in line with God. He's starting that journey of like, okay, God, I've been running from you. I'm going to get my life back together, so to speak. But it doesn't quite work out the way he wants it to work out. Not just with the Ninevites, but also with himself. Let's take a look at the story, if you will, which is on uh, your tables here, on the excerpts, all right? I'm going to just read through it, follow along. It's a pretty engaging story. I think you'll love it. We'll read through it and then talk at our tables really quickly what strikes you, what kind of grabs you about how this story continues. And so Jonah is turning back, getting his life realigned with God, and this is what happens. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, 
Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that he will not perish. We will not perish. When God saw that they did what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when we, I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Now, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen in the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? I want you to turn to your neighbor real quick before we jump into this from up front. And I want you to talk really quickly for about two minutes. What, what are your initial reactions to this story? What, what grabs you here? What strikes you personally? Two minutes, talk it over with your table. I don't know about you, but I think this is a, a fascinating story. Um, it's fascinating on a number of fronts. Um, what strikes me personally, first of all, is how patient God is. Uh, we read here that 
And we emphasized this already in previous conversations, that God here is compassionate and gracious. Yes, he's a God of justice. He needs to take care of wickedness. The city was lynching people. Something needs to happen. Judgment does need to come. And yet somehow, God is not just a God of justice, but he's a God of compassion and mercy. And we see this very clearly in this passage. We see it, in fact, super clear in how he handles Jonah and his whining and complaining. But then my mind begins to think about Jonah and how Jonah is such a good picture of us, of me, of perhaps you. I mean, Jonah here is great because he he supposedly, you know, he's doing the right thing, so it seems, right? He's like, quote-unquote, obeying God. And yet at the same time, there's something within himself that hasn't yet realigned with God. There's something within his own heart where he actually still hates the people that God is trying to love, that God is trying to invite him to love. And I just think to myself, my goodness, that's like a perfect picture of my life. It's a per- perfect picture of perhaps your life. That sure, we can do the right things on the outside, but let's be honest, how many of you this week did the right thing, but inside you were seething? Inside you, okay, yeah, thank you. Fanny is the first one. Raise her head. Thank you, Fanny. Thanks for being honest. We're, we're right here together, right? Such a good picture. And yet, the third thing that strikes me about this story is really interesting. The story just kind of ends like this. It, it literally does. If you've never read through this story in the scriptures of Jesus, it just ends like this. And it kind of leaves you hanging, right? Like, wait, what happens? Does Jonah, like, change his heart somehow? Or, 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 or does God, you know, like, just get fed up with Jonah, like, after too much whining? Like, like what actually happens? And I think this is actually where we need to kind of reflect on here this morning. This fact that this story actually just ends like this. Because I want to propose to you that this story ends like this because actually the story can't give us a solution in and of itself. There's no answer to how Jonah is going to change. There's no answer to how his heart is going to get in the right place. And I say this because actually back in this time, this story, remember, happened about six, seven hundred years before Jesus came. And back at that time, Jonah was actually a part of a whole group of people known as the prophets. And the prophets at that time noted something very important to this big question we're trying to answer today, how we can change, how we can be better. The prophets at this time noted that, you know what? You and I are at a loss. Our stories cannot be completed because there's no actual answer. There's no actual solution to the change. In fact, you and I, if our hearts are to change, we need God to do something about it. In fact, we need God to give us a new heart, a heart transplant. Notice, for example, what one of the prophets around Jonah's time said about this. Can we get the next slide? This is from the prophet Ezekiel, around this time. 
And he said this. This is God talking through him, God talking to the Jewish people, but really to all of humanity. God saying this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Isn't it interesting that during this time, as people were trying to figure God out and figure themselves out, as they were trying to understand this God of love and compassion and do what this God of love and compassion invited them to do, they kept running into the wall. They kept being like Jonah. And one of them from among themselves, God uses them and says, you know what, actually, yeah, you can't change your heart. I have to give you a new heart. When Jesus comes around, Jesus emphasizes the same thing. In fact, Jesus will, at a certain point in time, in the biography called John, in the third chapter in that book, there's a person who says, you know, Jesus, we, we think we have you figured out. We think we have this whole spiritual thing figured out. We know you're something very special. We know how God works. And Jesus stops him kind of mid-sentence and says, no, 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 you, don't, you actually don't get it. You don't get it because in order to really get what I'm trying to do, you have to, and Jesus uses this phrase, you have to be born again. You have to go through this rebirth process, not just metaphorically, although it is metaphorical, but something happens that literally change within you. And then Jesus in that chapter in John 3, he actually then references this actual sentence. He says, you're going to have to get washed clean. You're going to have to be born again. Something new has to get put in you. And so the question is then, well, okay, hold on. If this is what has to happen, what do we do? Like, if this is something that God has to give us, what are we supposed to do? And, and how does change actually happen, right? That, okay, like, this is kind of intangible. Like, how does this work? Well, let me, let me share another phrase with you, another sentence with you, and then I'll, I'm going to show you a picture, I think, that will help us understand this, okay? What we begin to discover as Jesus comes on the scene, and I would say as Jonah would have us want to understand, is that we need a new heart. Yes, number one, but then with that new heart, we, by God's power, we need to begin to develop new habits of thoughts, new habits of action, and new habits of feeling. Now, how does this work? What does this work? Let me, let me just show you two pictures here that I, I think will clear things up. If you were to look at the story of um, Jonah some more and then look at the teachings of Jesus, you would see that us as human beings were really composed of at least two parts. Some people get into it and say maybe three parts, four parts. Let's just say two parts to make it easy. We have what Jesus would call a heart. Okay, not necessarily the biological heart, right? We're talking about kind of maybe the soul. Some people would say soul or spirit. We'll use the language of heart because that was what that prophet Jeremiah said. And then we're also composed of the body, the mind, kind of more our biological systems, right? Now, Jesus, when he comes and he begins to do his teaching, he makes it clear that our heart, our body, our whole selves, that we are, we are directed towards sin. 
We're directed away from God. We're directed towards things that say thanks, but no thanks to God. We're directed to running lives on our own. We're directed to not loving when we should love. We're directed to vices and evils we shouldn't be engaging in, those kind of things. We're just directed away from God. Now, when Jesus comes on the scene and when Ezekiel says, hey, something needs to happen, a new heart needs to give to you, and I need to give you, and Jesus says, yeah, you actually have to experience this. Jesus actually, through his death and through his resurrection, gives us a new heart. He gives us a new heart when we give our lives over to Him, when we surrender our lives to Him. That's why we sing about surrender all the time here at Ethnos, because it's so important for us to do that, because that's when a new heart comes to us, when that prophecy of Ezekiel gets fulfilled. And so this is what happens. We have a new heart, and this new heart, according to the teaching of Jesus, is now directed upwards to God. But here's the deal. And those of you who have experienced Jesus in this way have probably experienced this, right? Somehow Jesus bursts into your life, you surrender to him, something new happens in you, you feel different, something changes in you, and all of a sudden you like enjoy loving God, you enjoy talking about God, you enjoy, like your heart, something in you, you don't know how to explain it, is directed up. But right at that moment, you fall back and do what you did before that moment. You do the same thing you used to do. You don't seem to be changing in the way you want to change. What's going on? Well, as you can see in this diagram, according to the teaching of Jesus, we we have this new heart. It's directed up, but we're still living in the same body. We still have the same mind, right? And you know this, like when that happened to you, it's not like all of a sudden, like, you know, there's like fairy dust and twinkling, and all of a sudden, whoa, my body, it's new. You know, no, it's the same thing, same body. Directed at the same things. Same vices, whatever it is. And so, in the teachings of Jesus, Jesus then begins to say, hey, you need to train your body differently now. It's been hardwired, programmed for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years to do a certain thing, but guess what? You have a new heart, and I'm giving you new power now to say, body, be reprogrammed. Mind, be reprogrammed. Be different. It begins to happen through the formation of new habits, okay? If you're taking notes, you can write down Romans 6, 7, and 8. This is where the teaching of Jesus really comes alive. This is kind of where he gets into the meat of these diagrams that I've shown you. But here's the deal. This is why this is so important to know, okay? It's really important to realize that this is kind of how it happens because I think sometimes when we keep slipping back into who we don't want to be, we can think to ourselves, oh my goodness, I'm such an either terrible person, oh my goodness, maybe I'm not really a Jesus follower or Jesus isn't really in me, or oh my goodness, like, I'm just terrible. God, why didn't you change me? I'm so bad inside. Like, ah. No, if you've given your life to God, if you've surrendered to Jesus, you right now have a new heart. It's done. You are actually a new person. Don't beat yourself up. Don't say to yourself, oh my goodness, I'm so terrible. Don't keep coming to God and praying, God, make me a new person. Give me a new heart. No, no. He already has. 
That's some good news. But here's the deal. Yeah, your body didn't change. You've got to retrain your body. You've got to form new habits that will change your behaviors, that will change your thoughts, that will change your actions. That's where the change happens, okay? Now, of course, if you haven't surrendered to God, if you haven't received a new heart, let me just say, God is inviting you. He wants to give you a new heart. He can give you a new heart if you'll surrender. So, now, how might this work then, though? Let's, let's kind of hit pause and think through this, okay? I hope this diagram makes sense. Hopefully, in your mind, you're thinking, okay, okay, so I don't need to beat myself up. I don't need to, like, think I'm a terrible person and, and keep praying to God, God, I'm so sorry, I'm so stupid, I'm so sick of myself. You don't have to say those things. You're a new person. You have a new heart. But then what? How, how does the training of the habits actually happen? There are a lot of ways it can happen, let's be honest, and it takes a long time. But perhaps let me just give you one nugget, and actually, we're going to actually go through a whole series on habits coming up really soon. Um, let me just tell you, next Sunday, we're going to take a pause uh, in between series. It's actually a national Sunday where we're going to think about the issue of mass incarceration. We actually have some guest speakers, so think about that. Many faith communities around the United States are doing that. We're joining with them. So we're going to take a pause. But then after that, we're going through a seven-part series called Life Hacks with Jesus. And we're going to talk about basic life hacks, basic habits that we can begin to engage in to live and be this new person, okay? So we're actually going to get into this quite a bit as the new year gets going. But here's the deal. Let me just kind of maybe give us a preview and, and get us going on the right foot. How, how might this actually happen? Well, let's take the issue of anger today, Okay. I want to take this issue because Jonah was dealing with it in the story, right? And uh, I have a feeling that most of us in this room probably have a problem with anger. I'll just be honest, right? Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Um, but anger, it's, it's a real thing that we deal with. We don't know how to handle. And oftentimes when we're angry, we kind of, you know, we freeze perhaps or we lash out and we don't mean to lash out, but we, we're not doing what we want to be. How, how many of your anger is like a real thing? For you. Okay, yeah, okay, so this is, okay. So this is, this is how a new habit might begin to develop in you, with you, with anger. And I, I was experiencing this uh, not too long ago. So I'm feeling angry. I'm upset because somebody did something that offended me. I feel angry, but at a certain point, I begin to feel bad about my anger. I realize I shouldn't be angry, but I'm still feeling angry. It's hard to reflect. But I begin to think about a couple things. First of all, I begin to think about this diagram. Okay, Yukon, this is not you. You have a new heart. And that little inkling of like love you have for the person, yeah, that's a God thing. God has put that in you. Okay, that's good. But God, I'm still feeling this way. I'm still thinking this way. My blood is still boiling. Okay, God, what do I do next? We're going to talk about a life hack that involves the scriptures of Jesus and how to meditate on those scriptures, okay? We'll explain it a little bit more, but let me give you a preview. As I'm going through my anger, then what I realize is like, you know what? There's a scripture from Jesus that actually can help me with this. And so in the midst of my anger, a very simple habit, right, is to take out my phone, 
and look up a scripture that I know talks about anger. The scripture I have in mind for us is 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. If you have your phone, feel free to look it up right now if you want. But literally, this last week, I had to do this. I was feeling angry. I was not happy. I was sitting there brooding. I was like, different negative thoughts were coming at me left and right. And I was like, you know what? God, what do I do? And it dawned on me in that moment that, Yukon, you know a scripture about this from Jesus. I was like, oh, yeah, I do. Turned on my phone, looked at it, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. I read through it once or twice. It literally calmed me down. I was able to think more clearly, and my life got a little more realigned at that moment. Now, there's some other things I had to do, and we're going to talk about those life hacks, but this is just one example of how a new habit, a new habit of turning to Scripture can begin to realign our lives differently. Now, again, we're going to do seven weeks of life hacks, so get ready. We're going to talk about this kind of stuff, but this is a way to begin. Questions, comments, thoughts? um, This can be answered, but why didn't God give us everything when we accepted Jesus? I want the new heart, the body, and the mind, but why, 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 why leave us in, like, why leave us hanging? That's a great question. I, you know, you can ask God that yourself. I ask him that myself too. Like, God, why didn't this, why, yeah, why this way? Why didn't, why? yeah, I, I, I wish I could give you a good answer. I mean, I think I have some guesses. Uh, I think Deborah said it, you just, I heard you over say it, Deborah. Deborah there's, there's something about us working together with God that creates ownership, that creates a sense of joy and pride. And we've experienced this, right? If you're handed something that you didn't work for, it's like, eh. But when you work for it, you're like, whoa. You know, so there may be some of that. Um, but yeah, it ain't easy. But, but there are times I definitely ask God that too. Like, God, this, I would not have liked it to have happened this way. Why? That's a good question. Yeah. Other questions or comments or thoughts? Yeah, back there. The youth table. I've been waiting for y'all to say something. Thanks, youth table. Um, I think this whole uh, excerpt kind of made me evaluate who I am as a person and what I've tried to change. I feel like with the first question, my answer was more like the negative side where I was like kind of hard on myself and kind of asking myself why I didn't do things right earlier and, you know, just questioning my, you know, the abilities that I have. And I think that after reading this, I also realized that, like, I was, I am kind of like Jonah, where it's like when bad things happen to me, instead of, like, you know, going back and looking at all of my mistakes and trying to figure it out, I always kind of, like, blame God for it and, like, say, you know, I know somebody else who's, like, worse than I am. Why can't they go through something? Why do I have to go through all these things? And it's kind of like I took a moment just to kind of sit down and, like, and, as I was sitting here, all of it just kind of hit me at once where I was just kind of like, you know, I need to change. And I've always wanted to change and I've always gotten like just a a finger away from being able to change, but every time it's there, it just keeps moving farther away. And I haven't tried to, you know, jump for it and try to catch it by myself. So I feel like 
this really helped me in like kind of visualizing what I need to start doing so that I can start uh, walking with God and so that me and God will somehow work together so that I'll be able to change in the future. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know what, let me invite us as we continue to process. I know there's, there's a lot of concepts here this morning that definitely are worth mulling over, but just to be aware of time and kind of how we need to wrap things up, let me invite us to a couple things here this morning. You know, we've talked about basically how the story of Jonah, the story of us, points to a need for change, but this change can't happen within us. It, God has to take out our heart of stone, so to speak, and give us a new heart, and we have to with his power, begin to learn new habits and experience that change in our bodies, in our minds, in our feelings. So I want to invite us to two things this morning. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to invite you to, and then I'm going to give us a moment to take some of these steps. The first thing I want to invite you to is to get a heart transplant with God, to basically give it a, get a heart exchange going with God, to say, God, yeah, you know, my heart is a heart of stone. I need a new heart. And I'm going to guide us in a prayer to have that heart transplant happen. Second, I want to invite us then into a commitment to new habits. Now, again, this is going to take a while. This is stuff that doesn't just happen overnight. But you know as well as I do that the ball gets rolling. New habits begin when there's a certain resolve we make and say, you know what? Okay, yeah, it's time. I need to do this. Okay, what's next? And I'm going to invite us into a moment where we can simply pray that prayer and say, okay, God, I'm ready to take what's next. From there, we'll wrap it up and we'll call it a day and keep going, okay? So let me just invite us into a moment then of these two steps. Could you close your eyes if you feel comfortable or if that helps you focus on God and focus in on what He may be doing in your life? And perhaps for some of you, it might be easy to picture God or to picture Jesus. Uh, if, you, if that's easy for you, you can go ahead and do that. And so the first invitation is for those of us who need a new heart. You feel like as we've been processing this story with Jonah, this prophet Ezekiel, you realize that, oh my goodness, I have a hard heart. Like not only does it not love, but it, it, it's dead. It's dead towards good things. It's just, it doesn't love beauty. It, it's, it's negative all the time. It's, uh, you know, it's like stone. Now through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus lets us know that he actually can and is wanting to give us a new heart. And so I want to invite you, if you've kind of never invited Jesus to give you that new heart, I want you to say a simple prayer. Jesus, here's my heart of stone. You can picture yourself maybe taking it out and handing it over to him. Say, Jesus, will you give me a heart of flesh right now? Now, you may not feel anything right away, or maybe you will, but the process has begun. 
if you've invited Jesus to do that. The process now has begun where your life will be directed to God. It will be directed to love and meaning and purpose and good. Perhaps it was going that way anyways, but there will be something different about it. And so as you get directed towards that, as we mentioned, there will be habits that will need to be put in place, new ones. And so I want you, if you're in that place where you're thinking, okay, man, I, I, need, I, yeah, I need these new habits, I want you to simply pray, God, this area of my life, you know I need a new habit. And kind of fill in the blank. What, what area is that in? What, what area is that? And I just want you to pray this prayer of commitment. I want you to commit specifically to the next two months because we're going to spend seven weeks, right, talking about this, life hacks. I want to, I want to invite you to commit the next two months to say, Jesus, I, I, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to let you get in me. I'm going to let you kind of point things out. I'm going to let you work on that habit. So just kind of tell him that right now. I'm going to let you work on that habit. God, we are thankful for this moment. We're thankful for an opportunity to stop, reflect, and engage with our spiritual journey. You've heard these prayers. We know that you are a good God, gracious, compassionate. We know that you will answer them as we surrender ourselves to you. Thank you for this time together. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for today's conversation. For more information about Ethnos New Brunswick, visit us at ethnosnb.com.